Welcome and thanks for joining us here at the Bethel Church Podcast. For more information about Bethel and who we are, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. We hope you are encouraged and that you find hope in today's message. And I should have worn a suit today because I'm here to do business with Jesus. I don't know about y'all, man. Come on now. Woo! We're going to talk about removing the mask today. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. It kind of helps to know who you're talking to, right? What I'm all about, where I come from, that sort of thing. But more importantly, by the power of our word and word of our testimony, I think it's important, really important to see what God's done in my life more than anything else. Amen. Amen? So my name is Rich. I am a grateful believer in Jesus. And uh, I was born in in the South, as y'all can tell by my accent. Um, I said, y'all, come on. South Boston, but it all depends where you draw the line, right? We can put the line anywhere we want. So I was born to a very dysfunctional slash non-functional family. Dad was a, an alcoholic and was gone by the time I was three or four. I don't really even remember him ever being at the house. My upbringing was void of any guidance, love, direction. So at the mature age of 15, I figured I can do better than this, and off I went on my own. I ended up 3,000 miles away in San Diego. And when the drugs and money ran out, I had a decision to make. So I decided to go back to Boston, back to where I came from. I figured at least, you know, that I know people there and get by a little easier. So I got up the highway and I hitchhiked. Can you imagine I was 16 then? Hitchhiked my way cross country back towards Boston. I ended up uh, sleeping in the back of strangers' vans, sleeping in the desert, trips in and out of Mexico. It was, it was a wild ride. The next two years didn't get any better. Um, but at the age of 18, see, I was one of them smart knuckleheads. I figured I better do something. So at the age of 18, I joined the military. After all, they'll take anybody, right? At least they would back then. So I did that. I joined, I joined the military, and I would spend the next 30 years in the military. And I'd like to tell you that that, you know, is what straightened me out and got me on the right path, but it wasn't. See, it fed into my alpha personality. It fed into my arrogance. It fed into my party mentality. My first five years in the military, I continued to use drugs. I drank. I operated my entire 30 years in the military on a scorched earth policy. I steamrolled not only men and women in the service that worked for me, but in all my relationships. I just mentally abused, psychologically abused, call it what you will. I just steamrolled everybody. I was a bad dude. I was not a good person. I fathered six six kids, five out of wedlock. One is an adult in the, as a result of an adulterous relationship. Um, I got married eventually and then divorced. That divorce, a result of drugs and infidelity, ironically, not on my part, But I'd finish out my 30 years as a daily drinker. I've done the math. I've consumed anywhere from 35 to 40,000 alcoholic beverages in my life. Yet I'm still standing, thanks to the glory of God. Um, But I got out of the military after 30 years, and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Got a great job. Found a church. I'm like, you know, I got to get to church because it's all about balance, right? As long as we go to church, we're good. So I went to church every Sunday. Served as an usher. I was checking all kinds of good God blocks there. 
even got baptized. And you know what? When I came out of those baptismal waters, what I experienced was absolutely life-changing. I kind of liken it to, you know, the, the, the scripture where it says Jesus came out and it's like the heavens opened. I kind of envisioned doves, doves flying around and, and, and God looking down at me in, a, in rays of rainbow and light saying, I am pleased. And I kind of liken it to that. And when I came out, I, I felt like I had an immediate heart change. I felt like I just was suddenly full of wisdom and knowledge and I knew that the course my life was taking was going to change. And I was on the right path. And you know what else happened? None of that. Not a bit. I came out of those waters, and I was the same fool, with the exception of one thing, but I was the same fool that went in. See, because I was still trying to balance things, right? I was still trying to balance living in sin, relationships outside of marriage. I was still drinking every day. But I thought, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm baptized now, so I'm definitely good. It's about balance, Rich, but it wasn't. See, I used to kneel at the altar right here, and I used to say, God, if you want it, take it. Not here, here it is, but if you want it, take it. Hoping full well he wouldn't take it. In my brain, I'm thinking, if he doesn't take it, I get to keep drinking. And that's my rubber stamp of approval from God, right? Because he didn't take it, and I told him he could. Well, one thing did change after I got baptized. I started praying every day. I started reading the Bible every day. And one night during prayer, I was praying and drinking, and the Holy Spirit actually spoke to me and said, Rich, stop serving yourself, start serving others. So it was the first act of obedience. I said, all right, quit my job, sold my house, sold or gave away most everything I owned, and hooked a camper to the back of my truck, said, all right, Lord, where now? He said, well, I could envision him up there going, hmm, good question, Rich. You know, Rich, you, you've been all over the world, exotic lands. You've been successful. You like the finer things in life. So I got the perfect place for you. Hello, Four Oaks, North Carolina. <laughs> so I rolled into three trees and a stump parked my RV across from Ronnie's, those of you that know it, and would live in my RV for the next three years. But I found a church. And when I found that church, I paid it a visit one Sunday, and my first trip there, I was sitting over here, right where my friend in the purple shirt is. How you doing, man? It's a hot seat. You better watch out, man. <laughs> and a guy came up to me, and he says to me, hey, I don't know what your beliefs are, but during worship, the Holy Spirit told me and my wife that we needed to meet you. So he, he invited me to a recovery meeting that Friday over in Selma, and not knowing anybody and not, not having anything to do, I said, yeah, I'll go. Let's do it. And I'd like to tell you when I walked in those doors, I, I was changed. I felt changed immediately like Ed did. I didn't. In fact, I was still drinking daily. I was still womanizing. I was still mucking through life with no joy in my heart. But then I joined a process group because I was told I had to if I wanted to serve. So I joined a process group and I dove into those first three steps and man, he started changing me. He started really working in me. 
He's transformed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh at that point. See, those first three steps are so important because if we don't go through them honestly, then we can't get to the real meat and potatoes. We summarize the first three steps by calling them the I can't, God can, think I'll let them. Okay? And the first step, the I can't, we call it the power of weakness. That's when we realize we don't have control over the things in life that we think we have control over. See, I realize the only thing I have control over truly are my choices. Not the outcome of the choices necessarily, but the choices. See, when I first answered this question in a process group, I said, well, I control a lot of them. I'm single. I can come and go as I please. Heck, I pulled steaks in Tennessee and came to North Carolina, right? I can eat what I want, go to the gym, balance things out. There's a lot of things I can control over. And I got cancer. Found myself tethered to machines. The feeding tube going through my nose. I could no longer come and go as I please. I could no longer eat whatever I wanted. Of course, my wife, she's a nurse. She was no help. I'm like, babe, it's McDonald's down the road. Can you grab my Vitamix and whoop it up for me? And she wouldn't do it. Can you believe that? Man, some wife. She's a great wife. So we realized, I realized that I didn't have control over things I thought I did. The next step we call the power of humility, where we realize that God can can change us. Well, I already knew he could, right? Isn't he the all-powerful, omni-everything God, right? He created the universe. He created me. Of course he can fix me. Of course he can change me. But why would he want to? I told you all my story, a little bit about it. I told you about me. I was a train wreck. I aborted babies. I stole the self-esteem of hundreds of people. I was an arrogant jerk. I was a bad person. Why would he want to heal me? But when I realized that he did, in fact, want to, I learned all about the grace that he's got for me. I was like, all right. All right, next step, next step. S is easy so far, right? No. But the next step we call the power of surrender. And that's where we've got to actually surrender it. And I told you about how I used to say, God, if you want to take it, now, see, God will move mountains in our lives, but he's going to hand us the shovel because we got to have a stake in the game, right? We got some work to do, don't we? Amen. Right? Amen. So I finally picked up the shovel and I surrendered that stuff to him. I no longer tried to balance things in life. After I got baptized, I was still a drunk. I was reading the Bible, still womanizing, praying. I was an arrogant jerk. See, we want to balance things in our lives, but we can't have our cake and eat it too. Until I gave up and surrendered it all, I had no joy in my life. And here's the thing. When we say yes to Jesus, we're immediately sealed by the Holy Spirit. Like it or not, he's in you. Okay? And that's a jealous spirit. And maybe you don't have any joy in your life. Like I had no joy in my life because I never committed to that spirit. I never committed to putting in the work myself. I was just sitting back laying in the sun with a Mai Tai waiting for God to do it. It's not how he rolls, peeps. And you know, even when we say yes to Jesus, it doesn't necessarily get a ton easier. He'll walk through it with you. When I got to cancer, I was like, never a moment of fear, anxiety, stress, worry, concern, nothing. I didn't understand it, but he just, 
gave me the confidence and walked me right through all of it. I want you all to do me a favor real quick. Audience interaction, get you guys, get you guys going a little bit. I'm not a look to your left and tell your neighbor something guy. Sorry, Pastor Daniel. He te- he's always telling you, you know, look at your neighbor and say. I'm like, no, it's not me. My wife will tell you, I look at her, I, I kind of side-eye her, and I'm like, it's not happening. You know that, right? I just don't do it. I think it's because I'm shy and introverted, but I just don't do it. But I want you guys to do something for me right now. And see, I'm here. I'm going to see you. Make sure you do it. Just kind of look to the left. Just kind of scan it, folks. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to shake hands. Just kind of look. Now look to the right. Just kind of scan, folks. Do the same in front of you. Just kind of collect. Drink it all in real quick. Let me tell you what you just looked at. People who struggle with self-worth. People who struggle with anxiety and depression. People who struggle with pornography. Notice I didn't say men who struggle with pornography. You just looked at people who struggle with fear, anger, shame. You just looked at parents who have kids that are struggling with addiction. You just looked at kids who have parents that are struggling with addiction. But you know what else you looked at? Just about everybody you just looked at also loves Jesus. And if you walk out of this place with nothing today, I want you to walk out with this. It's okay to struggle and still love Jesus. Take it in, guys. It's okay to struggle and still love Jesus. We have a saying in recovery that it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And my lovely assistant's going to help demonstrate that for us. (laughs) See, when we're younger, we have influences in our life. Maybe it's our parents who told us we never amount to anything. Maybe it's your buddy stole his dad's porn magazines and you checked them all out. And it seems innocent at first, but then over time, kind of feel a little shame about it. You start hiding things. Gets a little easier to hide things. So, well, now I can hide some other things. Maybe as you get older, you start getting influenced by your friends. Maybe you start taking a little drink on a Friday night, on a Saturday. Cope with the anger and the pain of your life. Maybe you've got some shame issues you're dealing with because shame's a big one. And you know, one at a time, these things aren't so bad, right? One at a time, we can kind of, we can hold this thing, right? No big deal. We can do that forever. I call them the it's not that bads. When we start getting another it's not that bad, on top of another it's not that bad, collectively those it's not that bads, we start struggling under the weight of these things until they're more than we can handle. They rob our joy. They rob our hope. And sometimes we can't even see the things that are burdening us because we're so laser focused on other people and their struggles, our kids, our, our spouses, our cousins, our friends. We just dial in on them so much 
that we don't even see our own pain and deal with our own pain as we need to. We call it codependence. Hello, my name is Kim. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with pride, control issues, trust, and codependency. God's timing is perfect. Soon after my husband and I started coming to Bethel, Recovery Alive was announced. I was having some very personal issues at home with my son, and I felt a tornado of emotions inside of me. Just trying to maintain a smile daily was very difficult. I felt that RA was something I could hopefully get my son to attend. After speaking with Rich on the phone, he suggested that maybe a process group would be good for me. I told my husband, can you believe the nerve that dude wants me to join a process group. I'm not the one with the problem. I called him about my son, not me. See, I accepted the Lord as my savior at 11 years old. I thought I was okay, but for 42 years, I had walked as a baby Christian. I thought I'm okay, I'm saved, I'm good. But the sad part was I missed out for 42 years on having a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't talk to him daily. I prayed yes when I needed him, but that was it. When I prayed for him to help me in a situation, I still wanted to give complete, didn't want to give complete control over to God. He didn't fix my problems fast enough for me. I walked into the process group, wondering if I could open up to these strangers. I told them about how I was there to learn how to deal with my son, ways I could help him, I needed to fix him. But should I tell them everything about me, my past? Bingo. I quickly learned I had trust issues, codependent behavior, pride, control, and that was just getting started. I realized during self-examination, when I started praying, getting into the Word, I had my home completely out of order. When I started getting my home in God's order, boy, did things start changing. Working the 12 steps with my RA sisters was such an eye-opener. I had spent the last 10 years all day, every day, even my nights, lying in bed, 100% focused on how I could save, heal, fix someone that wasn't ready for help. I put my trying to fix him above my time with God, my husband, my other son, and myself. I was falling apart and getting further and further away from God. I prayed and said, I'm giving it to God, but before process group and working my own recovery, I never did. I started trusting the ladies in my group, but most of all, fully trusting God. I worked the steps honestly and started turning to the Word for answers. I started feeling a change happening inside of me. I started falling in love with my Savior. I began talking to Him on the way to work throughout my day. I started feeling a peace I'd never felt. I began actually surrendering myself, my problems, everything to God. I gave up control 
and with this came a peace I have never felt. Things aren't better for my son. I can't fix that, but I can surrender control and give it to God completely. I also finally let go of pride, trust issues from past hurts, and started working on me. I got my home in order, and I moved God to the front burner, and my husband next. Jay has encouraged me and supported me entirely during this process. He is my rock. I love you, Jay. I choose to keep going to RA and will not quit. I will keep not quitting because I have seen what it has done in my life and in my home. If you think you don't need recovery, neither did I. But it changed my life. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah. So Kim picked up her shovel. She went to work. God's a great partner, isn't he? When it comes to stuff like that. And like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, It's funny, but it's not funny. It hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that isn't common to man, but God is faithful, more faithful than rich, and he will never give you more than you can bear, and he'll provide you a way out right? He's almost at the victory sign, right? (laughs) Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not some, not a few, but all things through Christ who strengthens me. And James 1 and 12 says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life God has promised for those who love him. And what you got left is your testimony, man. That's all you got left. Another hand for my lovely assistant. So let me ask you all a question. You think right now God is pleased when he looks down at Bethel Church? I think he is. I think he's pleased because we've got a whole group of pastors who speak truth and speak speak biblically and teach it every Sunday. And they're not afraid to be called out if you don't agree with something. And they've embraced recovery alive. They've embraced the concept. They've embraced the process. They've brought it here. And they, they, they don't just embrace it, but they talk about it. And Pastor Daniel actually lives in it. Pastor Daniel's in a process group. I don't know if you all knew that, but he's working the process. He's picked up his shovel. And um, we're in step nine this month, right? We go through a new step each month. This month's step nine, the power of grace. So I figured I'd throw Pastor Daniel a little test this morning and see how he was doing. Gave him a text this morning when I woke up. I'm like, dude, I am so sick. I am not going to be able to make it today. 
And I could see, I know Pastor Daniel, so I could see him going. I could just envision him doing it. But he responded with grace. He says, oh, man, I'm praying for you right now. I hope you feel better. Anything, I, got, I got it, man. Anything I need to do. So thank you for being graceful. And uh, thank you for opening the door to recovery alive. So I think God's pleased. But I think he's especially pleased that we've opened the doors to those people. And I'm thankful because I am one of those people. And if you may be saying to yourself, well, what do you mean those people? Those people you look left and you look right. Yeah, those people. See, Jesus tells us what kind of reward we can have for, for dealing with those people in Matthew 25 and 31. I want to paraphrase, but this is when, when the king comes into his glory and he sits on the throne before all nations, right? Not just Bethel Church, not just the Christians, but the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Christians, the Jews, the Gentiles, the whole works. And he separates them into two, right? He puts the, the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And he says to those on his right, he says, come, you who are blessed to the kingdom that was, has been prepared for you since the very beginning. For when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. And they said to him, but Lord, when, when did we see you? Thirsty, hungry, sick, and in prison, and take care of your needs. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the very least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, I'm not going to go over what he talked to the people on the left about, but I think you know where it's going. It's quite the opposite of that. I want to hear two words when my time comes to be standing in front of him in his glory. Well done. Well done. That's all I want to hear. See, we all struggle with a modicum of pain in our life. We struggle. We do. May not want to admit it. But pain is not meant to be tucked away. It's not meant to be put in our back pockets. It's not meant to be thrown in our glove box, put in the basement, covered with a tarp. It's not meant to be numbed. Pain is supposed to arouse us. It's supposed to awaken us. It's not meant to be ignored. C.S. Lewis says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain, pain insists on being dealt with, being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt, as God's megaphone, pain is a terrible instrument. But it may lead to final and unrepentant rebellion. It gives the only opportunity a bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil, removes the mask. Plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. There's purpose in our pain. He wants us to use it. That's why in recovery, we, we hang our hats on James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so you can be healed. That's why we recover out loud. We feel our feelings. We tell our truths. We confront our abusers and our abuse. We take responsibility for our own actions. We make amends. 
We walk through the pain instead of taking shortcuts. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods and say, yeah, come on, two or three weeks, you'll be good to go. Come on in, you walk out a new person. A couple weeks, all it's going to, come on. No, it's work. But it's the toughest thing you're ever going to love. I promise you that. You may be saying to yourself, uh, Rich, we're live here, and you're standing there in front of the world saying that you've played part in abortion and all this sin and, and debauchery in your life. Aren't you ashamed? I used to be. Before he took it from me three months ago right over there. I used to be. I lived in shame. See, most of you in the audience right now, if I ask who else struggles like that, most of you probably wouldn't raise your hand, but I promise you, most of you inside of your head are thinking, yeah, I got some of that junk too. See, when we share our victories, when we share our struggles, then victories are on the horizon. Victories like Mickey's experienced. My name is Mickey Davis. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with not being good enough, shame, guilt, among other things. I grew up in a family that didn't show a lot of affection. My daddy was one that never had a lot to say to me, but I just, in my mind, thought it was because he was always disappointed in me. For instance, I played baseball from the time that I was started school all the way to I graduated, and he only came to one game. He was an alcoholic, and I saw a lot of fussing and a lot of fighting with, with the use of a lot of vulgar language within our house until Daddy got saved and he gave his life to God. Amen. But on the other hand, my mama was always fussing and was always telling me that I would never amount to anything all the way to the end of her life after 99 years. When I was a young boy, about 10 years old, somebody who was a big part of my life came into my room one night and touched me in a way that they shouldn't have. I was in my 40s before I ever told anyone. I finally told my wife, and crying, she said she finally understood my relationship with that person. I personally never had a relationship with God until my daughters were born. I was about 25. But at about the age 32, I started a lifestyle of pornography and had an affair within my family's wife, which caused deep hurt and deep wounds. It also affected my relationship with my daughters and my relationship with God diminished. I didn't feel worthy to be a dad, and I didn't think that God could still love me after all the hurt that I'd done. But both, both of my daughters are in here this morning. So Shannon and Tanya, I'm so sorry for the years that I didn't be the daddy that I should have been. But I want to tell you now that I love you with everything that's in me every fiber in me. And I ask you to forgive me of causing that hurt and that loss in your life before this whole church. So I threw myself in work thinking that I was uh, at least doing something good for my family. And what they really needed was my time, 
was my love and my attention. So for years, I felt shame, unworthy, and especially not good enough. I have wasted so many years of my life not doing what I've been called to do. When I heard about RA coming to our church, I thought to myself, maybe now I can get the healing in my life that I've been so desiring. The first night I walked into the group with so much pride, I became angry and asked how in the world was I supposed to trust you guys who I hardly knew with all the mess that's in me and not be concerned about it being spread everywhere. But the leaders quickly recognized my frustration and quickly began to explain the confidentiality agreement that we all agreed on before each meeting. With every meeting, my pride began to diminish, and vulnerability has now become a new way of life for me and other men that I come in contact with. I have been taught that shame is a fear of disconnection, not good enough, but excruciating vulnerability is the birth of joy, creativity, love, and freedom. So I beg of you to please don't waste precious years of your life that our Savior gave his precious blood for, but reach out for help. And I promise you, you and your family won't regret it. Thanks for letting me share. Come on, church. Come on now. We all struggle with a certain modicum of pain, issues, junk, stuff. So can we just, today, can we just decide amongst ourselves that we're just going to stop it? We're going to knock it off. When somebody walks in here on a Sunday morning with alcohol in their breath and bloodshot eyes, aren't they where they're supposed to be? Yeah. Come on. When, when somebody says, hey, you know... I've been going to the methadone clinic. Are you shaming them or are you saying, good for you? Because yeah. guess what? They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to get better. They're trying to improve, aren't they? Right. They say, good, good deal, man. Let's, let me go with you and then we'll grab a coffee. I'll invite you to a meeting or I'll invite you to church on Sunday, right? They're trying to do the right thing. When somebody says to you, you know, I've been, I've been dealing with porn my whole life, but I, I went to these intergalactical, psycho-celestial, hot yoga therapy sessions. I've been to one. They're, they're real. And, and I'm through it now. I'm over it. Say, good. Good for you. Congratulations, man. I'd like to hear more about it. Or I know other people who are struggling like that. Come. Come, come to church. Come, to, come on Friday night. And maybe we can help lock arms and help some other folks too, right? Let's meet people where they are. So why do we do recovery? Because we struggle and we love Jesus. That's why we do recovery live. See, I told you before, remember, when we say yes to Jesus, we get sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? And after we get sealed by the Holy Spirit, like here on Sunday, somebody's going to raise their hand today. I'm just prophesying. But when we get sealed by the Holy Spirit, what happens next? Do we suddenly know everything? Do we suddenly all of a sudden have a change of heart and we're theologically sound and we know, we know what's, what to open up and read in the Bible? I promise you, if you tell somebody, hey, go, go just start at Genesis and read the whole Bible straight through, you might lose them. 
So we want to guide folks. We want to disciple them through their sanctification process. That's the process from going where they are now to becoming more Christ-like, right? That's what we do in recovery. It's the same thing. We got a process we use, yeah. But it's a discipleship, right? I've told a story before about about the, the drunkies in the black hole. Oh, real quick. Let me talk about something real quick and I'll get back to the drunk in the hole. Do you know that three-fourths of everybody that walks through our doors on Friday night don't struggle with an addiction at all and never have? They struggle with the same junk most of you struggle with. Sometimes it's just a lack of joy in their life and they don't know why. So it's a sanctification process. We lock arms with you. We walk through it with you. And we say, yeah, been there. Right? Told you about the drunk in the hole. People go by, oh, I'll pray for you. We want that, yeah. Or they throw them a Bible or a pamphlet. Read this, it'll help. Yeah. And the next guy comes by and he jumps in the hole with him. He says, man, I appreciate the fellowship. But now you're stuck in the hole with me. Guy says, that's okay. I've been here before. I know the way out. Come on. And he locks arms with him, and he walks him through the process so he can get his victories. That's what we do at Recovery Alive. We hang our hat on James 5, 16. We recover out loud. We're only as sick as our secrets. See, we need to come to the honest conclusion here. Not as a church, because I think we're there. In fact, I know we are, but individually. That either... The work Jesus did on the cross is enough or it isn't. Because if his blood is sufficient for your salvation, that his blood is sufficient to go through every trial with you, every struggle, every broken relationship, every bout with self-esteem, every, every, tack, every time you try to tackle the effects of past abuse, every time shame, shame rears its ugly head through all your addictions, your anxiety and depression. If you believe today with me that Jesus' blood is enough, would you stand with me? I bet you're wondering when I'm going to actually start talking about the title of the message, Remove the Mask. Last Sunday, uh, a woman approached Beth and I and I'm not going to say her name, but if you were to kind of, we don't do this, but if you were to say, you know, who are one of the top 10 families, core families in Bethel, been coming here for decades, and man, we've seen them behind a microphone, teaching and preaching, and she comes up to me and she says, um, hey, how was it Recovery Live Friday night? We don't usually come. She said, I felt something so powerful. The Holy Spirit was so present in my heart, and I didn't understand why that it was so overwhelming. So I prayed to God, God, why, why am I feeling like this in this moment? And God being faithful like he is immediately told her, he says, because the people here, they've removed their masks. They've come to me, bearing their pain, bearing their shame, opening their hearts to me, seeking me, because they know I'm the only one that can heal them. 
So today, church, family, I don't even want to call you church, I just want to call you family. What we have down here on the altar is we have what we call surrendered ships. I promise there's no GPS tracker, you're not committing yourself to anything. It's not a lucky rabbit's foot. You're not going to feel down and depressed and go, oh, I feel better. But what it is, it's a tangible reminder that if only for a moment, today, you surrendered something to him. Maybe you want to surrender your mask. Maybe you want to surrender your, your shame. Maybe you've, like me, been part to an abortion. And you know he's forgiven you, but you're still struggling with your shame. Surrender it to him. This is the same altar he took my shame from. I promise you he'll take it from you. But you've got to put in the work. You've got to pick up your shovel. You can't lay back and say, okay, God, do your thing. You got to come into here. You got to take a surrender chip today. You got to put a knee on the altar and say, God, today, this is what I'm surrendering. Then hang it on your rearview mirror. Throw it in your nightstand drawer as a reminder that today you decided to step out in faith and surrender something to your Creator. The altars are open. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. You are not on an island. I promise you, you're not. Come to the altar. Let's do it, church. Come on. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church Online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.